Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. Hi, I'm Caroline Casper, and on behalf of the Equity Foundation and the Actors' Benevolent Fund of New South Wales, we would like to welcome you to the Equity Foundation Health and Wellness Series. Firstly, we would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nations, which is the land on which we work. I live on Bidjigal land, and I would like to pay my respects to the traditional owners of country all throughout our country, recognising their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land, and we pay our respects to elders, past, present and emerging. Kia ora to our New Zealand brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for joining us today. As we know, our entertainment industry is facing unique challenges. And indications are that as practitioners in the creative industries, we are under severe mental health stresses. Our hope is that this series will go some way into unlocking and helping us understanding and developing tools to help us with the challenges that we are facing. Today's session is part three of a three-part series on anxiety and will run for probably 40, 45 minutes. Due to scheduling demands, this is a pre-recorded session, so if you have any follow-up questions that you would like answered, please whirl your questions through to us at info at equityfoundation.org.au and we will endeavour to get them answered for you. Ah, now it is my absolute pleasure to introduce Dr. Julie Crabtree. Julie is the go-to person on health and well-being in the creative mind space. Her work with people in the creative industries draws on over 27 years of experience as a psychologist, both in private practice and with organisations. She holds a doctorate in clinical psychology and her doctoral research into creativity and mental health means that she is at the forefront of our understanding of what it is to be both creative and healthy. By creative, we mean all of us who work in the creative industries, be it cast, crew, production. And without further ado, I would like to hand you over to the wonderful Dr. Julie Crabtree. Thank you, Carolyn. This is our third session in our series of, on anxiety. So how have you been going? Last session we talked about um, perfectionism, unrelenting standards, and I left you with some homework, which was to really test for yourself whether uh, unrelenting standards, whether perfectionism uh, actually achieves the results that you think it would achieve. I invited you to do some work on self-compassion as a way of moderating your um, unrelenting standards, internal voice. Um, this uh, session, we're going to be talking about uh, a little bit more about catastrophic thinking. But we're going to first just do a brief overview again of anxiety. And I'm just going to do this very briefly because we've covered it in previous sessions. But it's good to remind ourselves exactly how we um, need to approach uh, anxiety. So this is our slide where we talk about some of the cognitive and personality vulnerabilities that highly creative people have. In particular, we're aware that divergent thinking, which is rapid fluid thinking, able to make unique associations, the skinlessness, doing life with one layer of skin missing, and high neuroses, 
or which is feeling our own pain and other people's pain deeply are all things that we would see to be associated with high anxiety, which is why it's, it's probably more of an issue for those in the creative industries. So we talked about anxiety being a persistent feeling of nervousness and worry and a sense of something going to happen. It's that, it's that gnawing uh, feeling of apprehension and worry. We'd covered overdriven thinking in our first session, perfectionism or unrelenting standards, and now highly imaginative and catastrophic thinking. One thing that research does indicate is that to be a creative person means that you are somebody that is able to have a vividness of mental imagery. You imagine very intensely. Yours is not a kind of black and white, faded out imagination. Yours is a full colour, 3D imagination, which means that probably you are more prone to some of the aspects of catastrophic thinking. We covered briefly the difference between fear and anxiety, and we talked about the fact that anxiety is more of that underlying worry, potential threat, the possibility, what if it happens, and it's something where you imagine a threat that's happening in the future. It's not a now. Fear is more you may experience something now and it resolves. But worry is about that gnawing apprehension and anticipation of future possible bad events. And we talked last time as well about the fact that it has significant wear and tear on our body and our system. Because um, when we're worrying, we produce adrenaline and cortisol that has the impact of helping us resolve something in the present. But because often the threat associated with, uh, with worry and anxiety is future orientated and doesn't resolve, we're left with this kind of ongoing highly elevated adrenaline and cortisol that has huge long-term impacts on our body. We talked about some of the key belief systems that can be associated with worry and anxiety. And last time we talked about the idea that do you believe that you are never good enough and must always strive harder? Do you believe that you will eventually fail or will never perform as others do? We're going to be doing a little bit more of a deep dive on this particular belief system, which we call, I guess, a vulnerability to harm belief system, which is, do you believe that you are always on the verge of experiencing a major catastrophe? I don't know if you've experienced or been around people that go from zero to 100% in imagining bad things happening to them. They, um, they may think, they may see a report on the news and suddenly they imagine that they're going to be in that disaster or catastrophe. They're, they're constantly imagining really um, bad and unhelpful situations coming from a deeper belief that for some reason they are, they are vulnerable. And if there's a bad thing, it's going to happen to them. You know, if there's going to be job losses, they're the ones that are going to lose their jobs. If they're talking about shows that are beginning to close, their show will always be the one that will close. It's that ability to imagine 
that bad things are always going to happen and they're always going to happen to you. And this is the belief system that we're going to talk about particularly today. Catastrophic thinking, the implied belief in bad things happening. And I guess we're at a time with the pandemic where we have seen some really quite significant and serious things happening. And I think collectively as a nation, we, our, our, our anxiety levels have gone up. And it's in part because we're imagining bad things happening. We're imagining the worst. And I think it's going to take collectively and individually some considered attention to try and bring ourselves down to the question of what is real and true about now, rather than imagining the bad possibility in the future. Remember, catastrophic thinking is always about the future, it's not about the now. Catastrophic thinking is about the imagination and it's not about the now. So one of the first things we're going to do when we begin to explore catastrophic thinking is we're going to ask the question, what is true? What is real and what is lies and what is fantasy? In our first session on anxiety, I showed you a brief clip of this woman imagining her cat as being sick and she went into full fantasy of imagining her cat dying until she got some truth and some information and found it was a manageable illness. And it was a really great way of describing what happens when we catastrophize. And so one of the first questions that I want you to begin to ask yourself if you feel that you are prone to catastrophic thinking is what is true, what is real, what is now, what is present. Um, how do you work out what is truthful and real about your circumstances? How do you do this in a mind geared for imagination and fantasy? And I want to particularly talk about this for those of you in the performance industries. Because you work off your imagination. You imagine roles and parts. You imagine stories. And so you are very used to an imagination that is unchecked, that can go from one perceptual thought, an idea, to this incredible story. And it's a wonderful and amazing gift that you have, the gift to imagine. But that very gift can imagine a future for yourself that is bad and scary and not true. So if you feel that you are one of those highly imaginative people, I would encourage yourself to, to develop the ability to say what is true and what is true for me now. So as you sit and listen to this, I want you to answer those questions in your, in your lounge room, wherever you are. What is true and what is true for you now? You as I said, you may have lost work in these circumstances. But what is true now? You may fear financial difficulty, but what is true now? Right now, how are you? Do you have friends? Are you healthy? Are you doing well? Are you loved? Think about what is now. Think about what is true rather than what you imagine.
because we have to work very carefully to challenge the lies and the fantasy that can often fill our head. What are the lies or deceptions that you believe about yourself? Do you believe that you will inevitably not get roles? Do you believe that even if you get roles, they'll inevitably go away? Do you distort your perception of events and circumstances to support that lies? So for example, if you didn't get a role that you thought you would have, does that become the only thing you think about rather than all the roles that you have had and all the times that you have done really well in your work? How does your imagination feed your negative fantasy? And this idea of uh, fantasy, I think, can be something that can be very seductive for the creative mind. I think that we are, are great at fantasy and but we can easily go into negative fantasies, dark fantasies, bad fantasies. So learning what is part of perhaps your work, if you're a storyteller, and learning what is part of destructive fantasy and imagination within yourself that is unhelpful for yourself. We know that if we imagine something, we will produce the emotions for it, and as we produce the emotions for it, our body will respond. So if we imagine that we are, um, are never going to get a role again, that this is the end of our career, and we sit and fantasize about that, then we're going to produce a, an emotion of sadness and anxiety and worry. And we're going to produce all of the adrenaline, the cortisol, the distress that's associated with that. And ultimately, that causes a huge wear and tear in our body. So it's worthwhile at the beginning to begin to catch some of those fantasies. So when you, when you think, oh, I'm, I'm never going to get a roll again, you go stop. We talked about stopping techniques. And go, what is true? What is now? And you begin to um, rewind the fantasy. Rather than allowing yourself to be seduced by these uh, fantasy ideas, particularly for the actor, often they've learnt to, um, to go into roles by imagining kind of characters and different situations. That means that their emotions can be very used to exploring these fantasies. Now, it's great for character development, but it's not good for your ability to manage your anxiety. And that's why I'm inviting you to um, challenge yourself with what is true, what is now, and to not allow yourself to go into the imagined possible bad um, circumstances that are only in your imagination. So tell the true self stories. The world is not as scary as we imagine. Remember a time when you believed a scary event or outcome and it didn't happen. So we have to get good at reminding ourselves when, when things do not support our catastrophic thinking because we are orientated to negative. We're orientated to remember the negative. So we've got to work harder on the positive. As I said with the example of a role and the fear of you not getting a role, the world is not as scary and bad as you imagine. And 
you remember all of the times when you did get the roles, when you did do the work, when it did work out. Stopping the stories, the lies that we tell ourselves, scary acknowledges that we often allow our anxious fantasies to go unchecked because we get used to the anxious rush or attention. And again, it's that idea that the, the creative, the highly empathic, the, the, the performer can get very seduced into imagining circumstances. So it's great for character development. It's not good for your personal world. So I want to go through a type of internal script that you can start to give yourself when you are beginning to get anxious about catastrophic events. This is from a particular framework called schema therapy. And it's talking about changing our internal story. So the first thing is an awareness. How do you feel? And we talked about in our first series how it's important to be aware. So how do you feel right now? You may feel anxious because you um, thought that you would be going to auditions right now and there don't seem to be any auditions that are happening. Then you link it to your belief system your underlying belief system. However, I know this is probably my vulnerability to harm schema that I learned through my growing up, my parents, circumstances that happened in my past. Now, this is an important statement. This causes me to exaggerate the degree to which I fantasize about things going wrong. This causes me to exaggerate the degree to which I imagine bad things going wrong. When it's in our head and when we don't think about it, we think our, our thoughts tell us the truth. Beginning to start saying to ourselves that we exaggerate things, we exaggerate our worries, is a really helpful first step to changing them. So even though I think that I will never get another role again. The reality is there seem to be some auditions coming up and I've got as reasonable a chance as any of getting the auditions and getting the roles. So you link, link it to what is real, what is true. What is true is that there will be auditions again. What is true is that the industry will open up again. Um, the evidence in my life telling me that is you may have information from your agent, you may have information coming up about it, so link it to evidence. So we know it's um, your anxiety, how you feel about it, because it's linked to an underlying unhelpful belief system that causes you to exaggerate the degree to which you catastrophize. So even though you have catastrophic thinking, the reality is you link it to what's real and then you link it to evidence. This is the last part of it. You're linking it to behaviour. So even though I think I'm never going to get a role again, even though I think I'm never going to be able to act or work again, the reality is there's auditions coming up. The evidence is what my agent has shown me and told me. So even though... I want to behave like never checking my emails again. 
even though I want to behave like I'm going to just retreat and, and get quite low and down and depressed and anxious. I'm not going to call my friends. I'm not going to do anything. Instead, I'm going to behave differently. So how are you going to behave when you don't believe your catastrophic thoughts? How are you going to behave when you link it to what is true? How are you going to behave when you've got evidence that supports it? These are all habits of thinking that are really, really helpful to help you catch hold of our catastrophic thinking, of our, our imagination going wild that's damaging for us. And we learn mechanisms for going, what am I exaggerating? What's the evidence? What can I do instead? And it helps us change our patterns of behaviour. So I would encourage you to begin to follow that, that program of thinking, to begin to challenge and change your catastrophic thinking, to begin to believe for yourself not a bad and overwhelming and destructive future, but a, a hopeful one, a positive one. So we've talked about a number of things to do with anxiety. We've talked about some of our negative internalised beliefs that impact our catastrophic imagination, that impact our perfectionism, that impact our obsessive rumination and overdriven thinking, that can contribute to our anxiety. I want to talk for a, a moment about this idea of how we can use our fear and anxiety in a positive and constructive way. Because to create, to make something out of nothing involves some fear and anxiety. But I want to show you a, uh, an interview um, from Kimbra, a really a, a amazing New Zealand artist based now in the United States. And she's talking about a circumstance which was initially quite difficult, distressing for her. And she initially um, was quite fearful, but then she shifted the fear into something really powerfully creative. So I invite you to enjoy this. My name is Kimbra, Kimbra Lee Johnson. Uh, I'm from Hamilton, New Zealand. Musician, singer, songwriter, producer. And I live here in New York City. <laughs> yeah, so we talked a little bit about fearlessness before and um, I guess I've thought a lot about this and um, fearlessness for me has to kind of um, sit side by side with fear because, of course, you know, you encounter... Um, times of fearlessness usually as a response to living in a season of being quite shut off or maybe um, anxious about your work or, or um, um, you know concerned about what people think and then out of that if you've you know gone through the process and realize that that's not always the most productive space you then find a way to break that and to become very um, kind of Detached isn't the word because you're still emotionally involved with all that you're doing, but you just have a little less 
care for what people think and a bit more inherent trust of what you do. So I'll, I guess I can go into a bit more detail about how that's played out practically in my life. But when the Janelle Monáe tour was cancelled, actually, in, in Australia, um, it was quite a hard time for me because, you know, me and Janelle had become close over that time and we were so excited to do this tour. I, I think it was just as I was about to put out my album or just as it had come out. I can't remember, sometimes things blur, but... I was right in that space of restlessness and ready to let off steam, ready to go out and, um, you know, be external with my art. I'd been so internal making a record. Um, and, of course, in a moment that all just went away, you know. Um, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't tour for health reasons um, for Janelle, and it was just suddenly this moment of, well, what do I do now, you know? And, and then, of course, lots of emotions come in around that, and you don't have a a productive way to let off all this energy that you've built up. So what I actually did is I got back to LA where I was living and I had this kind of random idea of like, well, what would happen if I just decided to do a residency at the bar down the, you know, down the road from my house and, and just start to do impromptu live performances where I improvise with my friends, the same friends that have played on my records and, and write songs for people on the spot, go into a space of complete abandonment, spontaneity, improvisation, with people I inherently trust as musicians. And, you know, I think we did it once a month for four months, or it could have been a weekly thing, I can't remember now, but I put it on Twitter a couple of hours before. The place was packed. There was, you know, a, a line out the place. It was, uh, you know, a small place, so I could kind of ensure that it would be packed. Um, and I got on stage, and I said to people, I don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen, but have a good time. And I would start a vocal loop, something that was just kind of strange and rhythmic, and the drummer would start a beat, and we'd kind of go round and round until we found our pocket, and then I'd start to write a song. Sometimes not with real words, just with feeling and sound and, you know, vowels and just... And then we'd try for a chorus. We really... And it was absolutely frightening, of course, because you have hundreds of people just staring at you, kind of waiting for a payoff in the music... But I had to step into a place of complete trust, the absolute potential for collapse, the fact that things could completely fall in the face, but be okay with it. And of course, it was amazing because, you know, everyone on stage was amazing, and I'd worked with them all before, so we knew that we had a language. And of course, the energy of the crowd was all love. So really, nothing could really go wrong, you know, and that's the thing that you learn out of these experiences, that you are inherently an artist and a creative and you can't be anything else but that. And of course, you know, there are good nights and bad nights, but when you turn up with complete presence and trust in what you do and trust in the people around you and give everything with a skinlessness, a vulnerability, what's more vulnerable than that? Putting yourself in front of people with no preparation except for a line check, maybe just check the instruments again and launch in. I wanted to play that interview for you because I think it's a, a, a wonderful example of an artist who takes a very difficult circumstance and we all have, are in difficult circumstances. And rather than shifting to anxiety, rather than retreating and behaving in a way that where she just isolated herself, she instead used her natural, creative thinking and personality to take a risk, to step out, to do things with fear, to 
uh, imagine things on the spot to create in the moment. And I wanted to leave that with you as a sense of, of hope of how you can turn this circumstance where we are suddenly being thrown into circumstances we did not imagine and how rather than retreating into a place of anxiety, you can instead use your fluid divergent thinking, use your skinlessness, use your high empathy, use your risk-taking to begin to step out in new ways. And yes, you're going to experience the fear, but it will be the fear in the moment, not the gnawing, destructive anxiety that can just go on and on and on. I, will I want to encourage you to be the innovators that the creative people are, are designed to be, to step out in the midst of difficult circumstances and to take steps and, and strides in and discover things about yourself that you never knew. When we get locked into anxiety, it's like, it's like being trapped in our own prison. And I imagine it as being in this kind of black cage and we're just trapped, huddled in the middle of this black cage. That's what anxiety is like. And it's not a great place. So I would invite you to open up that anxious cage to step out of it, to do things differently, to take a risk, to perhaps experience fear, but fear that will be short-term. Fear that you can see resolved and you may discover a whole lot of new things about yourself. We're going to finish there. Our next session will be sessions where we talk about identity, and the creative identity. So we look forward to seeing you uh, for our next session. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much, Julie. That was a, just such a wonderful um, session. Uh, so much information there. I have one really quick question for you. Well, it's not quick. Um, <laughs> when someone is in that black cage or that anxious state, mm. uh, and you talked about tools of... of, of breaking it open, but when they're in that extreme state, are there methods that you can use to flip out of it? It's a bad way of expressing it, but mm. is there something that you can do physically or is there something to, to, to start altering that mind mm. state? I, mean, I would think that sometimes when you are that caught, you actually need somebody to help you. Right. And I would go reach out. Yep. Let them help you open the cage and help take you out. And I mean that kind of meta metaphorically. Yeah, yeah. If you feel you can, then get up, go outside. Yep. We, we talked about some early mindfulness exercises in our previous sessions. That, that's when you do your mindfulness exercise. So mindfulness exercise, if I'll mm. recap a little bit for me. Um, feeling where you are on the ground, noticing uh, sounds that you... Mm. That you can hear what you can, what can you see what can you smell so basically going through the senses yes. Yes. to to ground yourself so um we talked about the 543 yeah and so walk out the door if you're really stuck in that anxiety walk out the door even if it's raining walk out the door 
And five is, is notice five things that you see. Yep. Four is uh, four things that you hear. Three is three things that you touch. Mm. So spend some time. I, I have got a lavender. And when I walk past, I always kind of touch and smell the lavender and smell yeah. it. Touch. So just some simple things. Five, four, four three. three. Perfect. Mindfulness. I would also, um, I think that when you're really stuck in anxiety, you need to distract yourself. Mm-hmm. Go and play this um, wonderful movie that will make you laugh. Yeah. Distract yourself. Because sometimes we just get so locked in to anxiety that all that we can do, all we're capable of doing is distraction. And it's okay. Distraction is wonderful in the short term. Mm-hmm. As our own only coping strategy, not so good. Yeah. Um, but as a short-term strategy, it's, it's fine. To Just and... to distract. We're, we're circuit-breaking the anxiety. Yeah. And that's kind of um, what we can try and do in those moments when we're just so locked, mm-hmm. um, locked into you know, that, that anxious, trapped feeling. Um, move. Move. Yeah. Um, go for a walk, go for a run, do some exercise. And as you said, support systems. So ring yes. your friends. And, yes. Um, yeah. And I, you, know, you would want to, that if you were, if it was going on, you weren't able to break it out. There are, um, you, can, you can always ring Beyond Blue or Lifeline or any of those yes. services. Mm to help you get started but yes. but it's uh, the mindfulness is mm. is a really wonderful circuit yes. breaker yes and i think to the message is that you are not stuck in your anxiety mm. your anxiety is a moment and you are not going to stay there your anxiety tells you that it is incredibly powerful mm-hmm. your anxiety tells you that it won't shift your anxiety tells you that it's telling you the truth about your future and it's like this big monster hovering over you and so we need to just shift some of that and again I think it's a wonderful thing to pick up the phone Mm. to Lifeline and Beyond Blue they're trained they're at the other end and they will they are there to listen to you just hearing another human voice Mm. who can help challenge your catastrophic thinking you know are there studies as to how long an anxiety episode would last um, I mean, anxiety is normally kind of defined as having a surge over mm-hmm. 10 minutes. You right. know, we kind of surge to a peak over 10 minutes. And anxiety is very physiological, and that's why I've always described it in physiological yeah. terms, because we, our body feels the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, it's, it's normally over the 10 minutes. And often when we're trying to shift and change our anxiety, particularly the things that we are highly anxious about, like, for example, getting back to doing auditions again. You might be feeling incredibly anxious about that. Mm. And I I would encourage you to do what we call an exposure strategy, which is if you know where you're going to do the the audition, actually go and visit around the place beforehand. Practice it, rehearse it in your mind. Uh, Talk about, imagine how it's going to play out. All of those things are helpful in helping us get used to the thing that we're anxious about. Because we know with anxiety and exposure, if we confront the things that we're anxious about, we might get a surge of anxiety. But if we practice breathing, if we practice all the techniques we're talking about, that your anxiety should diminish Mm. over time. So you may go to the audition as a 9 out of 10 anxiety, 
but you're going to leave it as a six out of ten anxiety. Yeah, yeah. And um, but often we avoid going to somewhere like an audition again because we don't want to experience the nine out of ten anxiety. No. Knowing yeah. that it can d diminish can be very very helpful. Yes, I yeah. I didn't realise it was a, it was that sort of mm. sh relatively short time frame because mm. yeah. when you're in the middle of it, it feels like it's yes. forever and it's never going to end. Yes. So I think that's really helpful mm. to to understand mm. that it is it is mm. momentary. It's just for the now. Yeah. And touching on those, is it true? Is mm. it is it now? Is it yeah? Yes. Yes. Because your anxiety is always about the future. Yeah. It's never about the now. Yeah. Or it's, it's always about the past. It's never about the now. Yeah. That's why a whole lot of the techniques I was giving you are, are techniques of, of being present. That's why I talked to you about sitting on the couch now. Yes. Because our now isn't anywhere near as anxious as our, our possible future or our past. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. It's like those school, those dreams that you have before the first day of school mm. where you've forgotten all your school books or, you know, you know yes. you're never going to forget them because you've already dreamed about it. You've That's already right. done it. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. That was enlightening. Um, and thank you for sharing your insights, your expertise, expertise and your knowledge. Um, we hope that you found it very useful too. Again, a huge thank you to the Actors Benevolent Fund of New South Wales, without whom this series would just not be possible. If you have any questions that you would like answered, please feel free to whirl through your questions to info at equityfoundation.org.au and we will endeavour to get them answered for you. Thank you again. If anything was triggered for you today, please, there's always Beyond Blue, Lifeline. Take care, everyone. Thank you. For more information about the work of the Foundation, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Australian Actors' Equity on Facebook and Twitter.